Good morning. 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 It's so good to see so many of you today. Thank you so much for coming. You really are a huge encouragement to each and every one of us who are here. Um, although I will have to start getting into the habit of putting out more chairs because I put in 10 more than those who book in and it's clearly not enough. So uh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for coming. We are finishing the book of Ezra today. We've spent uh, the last four weeks, we've done two chapters a week and we're doing two chapters of Ezra today. And I've been warning you, haven't I, that there is an unsatisfying end to this book and, uh, and the, the content of the passage today might leave a bitter taste in your mouth, but I hope to encourage you through it. No one would choose to preach on this passage, I don't think, unless they had decided that they were going to go through the whole book. Um, And because in chapters 9 and 10, we learn that the men of Israel have married the women of the people of the lands around them, not people of Israel. They've married women from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, etc., etc., And the conclusion of these events is not one that the world that we live in would understand or approve of. And because of that, it's possible that we won't understand or approve of these events as well. Because what happens is that Ezra, with the people who uh, lamented with him or mourned with him, decide that the appropriate course of action is to divorce from these women even if these women have had children as a result of these marriages. And in what is a very difficult passage to read, they do. And so the men of Israel divorce from the women that they have married, from the lands around them, even if they have had children. But to me, the, the, the breaking up of these marriages doesn't feel like the most important part of of these two chapters that we're going to look at today, even though it it is such a shocking event, and even though the book of Ezra, the entire 10 chapters, as I say, it ends in a really unsatisfying way, and it literally says, and some of them had even had children. You know, the, the impact of the sin of the men of Israel is is massive. It isn't, you know, I mean, like David saying, against you only have I sinned, but actually he'd sinned against Uriah, he'd sinned against Bathsheba, you know. These, these men had sinned before God, but their sin has affected so many people. Are we okay? Cool, thank you. So, the start of chapter 9 tells us that the events that we're looking at today, do you want me to move to, do, do you, can you hear me all right? Yeah. Cool, okay. It just gets more dramatic. I'm going to go. yeah. <laughs> yes, thus saith the Lord. Um, yeah, no, chapter 9 tells us that the events uh, that we're looking at today happened after the conclusion of, of the events in 7 and 8. So presumably Ezra has taken the instructions from King Artaxerxes and given them to all of the rulers and the governors of the uh, province that they're in. And presumably he has appointed judges and magistrates to judge the people uh, who have returned from exile. And he must have been a busy man and it must have taken a while because he didn't know that the men of Israel have been marrying uh, the women of the lands around them 
and also they'd had children. So it must have taken a little while for him to do that. And the people come and tell Ezra this, and he's shocked. It's massive news for him. And, uh, and he prays a prayer that I, I will read in its entirety in just a little bit. But first I want to cover why the officials of the heads of the families and the men of Israel should have known better. Not least because they've had a fervent returning to the word of God, um, but because as, you know, ever since the moment God led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, God had, had instructed them again and again, don't marry the peoples of the land. Don't make any pacts with them. And this is what uh, is said in Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, basically the nations listed again in today's passage, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. And then in Deuteronomy 18, it tells us what turning away from God to serve other gods would look like. And it says, when you come into the land that your, the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. And many such things like that were performed by the people of the land that God was leading them into. And, and Deuteronomy 18 that I've just read to you says, and it is because of practices like that, that the Lord is driving them out before you. God wanted better for his people. He didn't want them doing things like that. And so he instituted ways of worship and sacrifice and things that were pleasing to him that didn't involve the sacrifice of children, that didn't involve orgies and the like. And so God did not want this for them. And that is why and Ezra, the scribe skilled in the law of God, as we read last week, he would have known these passages. They would have weighed heavily on his mind. He would, have, he would have recalled these as he was in exile. He would have gone, this is because we did those things. We didn't completely devote them to destruction. We did make pacts. We did compromise. We did let ourselves be led astray. And so I want to read now Ezra's prayer after he learns what has happened, that the men have married people. So the, the, the words will come on the screen. This is chapter 9, verses 6 through to 15. And Ezra said, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our father to this day, we have been in great guilt." And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the land, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favour has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves." 
Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure, with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and have given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again? and intermarry with the people who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt. None can stand before you because of this. I wanted to read that whole prayer because I think that is an amazing prayer. And I think that when we see amazing prayers in the Bible, they can help to teach us how to pray. And there are times when we might pray prayers like this. One of the themes, I was just, just talking with Angus before I got up to speak, one of the themes that's come through in the last few weeks, which has been lovely, is, is this whole thing about stories. It came out when John spoke. This is our story. This is our heritage. When we see our God, we, we, we see him in this. And so as, as shocking as it is that husbands would leave wives to return to faithful worship of God, this, this, the, the, the most important thing, at least in my mind, in this passage is, is what Ezra did and what the people did in response. So Ezra tore his hair out, he tore his beard out, he tore his cloak, and he sat and he mourned for an entire day. He only got up at the evening at the time of sacrifice to fall to his knees and to pray the prayer that I just read to you. Ezra delighted in God. We read last week, didn't we, how he had set his heart to learn and to do and to teach the Word of God. Ezra believed that the men of Israel had committed a grievous sin. But rather than passing judgment on them, rather than kind of washing his hands of them, he comes before God on their behalf. He counts himself with them. And he says, we, we stand before you, God, in our guilt and I, I find that really interesting that Ezra would do that. 1 John 4.20 says that if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. Ezra knew that. Because Ezra delighted in God so much, because he loved him so much, he knew that that must necessarily be demonstrated by loving his brothers. And so he stood with them in their sin. We find again in chapters 9 and 10 a, a sort of jumping timeline. And so chapter 10 begins with 
what the people were doing whilst Ezra was praying and making confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. And we read that a very great assembly of men, women and children, so everyone, you know, how often do women and children get mentioned in the lists in the Old Testament? Everyone uh, gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah addressed Ezra. And Shechaniah said in front of everyone and to Ezra after he has prayed, after he's lamented, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel. Even now, even after this, there is hope. And it was Shechaniah who recommended that the men divorce from their wives. And it must have seemed good to all the people present, including Ezra, because Ezra then made the people swear an oath that they would see out this course of action that they have decided. And, and I'm saying this again, and I said this a few weeks ago when I talked about Zerubbabel. We're in the slightly uncomfortable position where God hasn't commanded this. There's, there's no record of God saying, you must divorce from these women. You must abandon these children. There's no record of God commanding this. But neither is Ezra rebuked for how he leads them. And so what do we do with that? We know that God doesn't approve of divorce. But here we, we have it. What do we say? What can we, what can we surmise about it? But as I say, the thing that I think is most important from this passage is, is what the people did, what they planned to do, and how they did it together. They, they planned a corporate act of repentance together, and they saw it out together. Only two people out of the entire nation of Israel opposed this. And as so often happens, those two people influenced two other people so that four people opposed this, even though two of them weren't of the opposite opinion. They were just persuaded because whisperers separate friends. And corporate repentance is a funny thing, isn't it? How can you take responsibility for a sin that I've committed? How can I take responsibility for a sin that you have committed? And it seems really alien to us, doesn't it? We're so fiercely independent. How can we take responsibility for one another? At least in the church. We do it in our families, don't we? With our flesh and blood families, we would do anything for them. We would, we would encourage one another with our flesh and blood families. Remain soft-hearted. Persevere. It will be okay. Keep trying. I believe that God wants us to see being a part of his family at least as being similar, if not the same. And so when the world around us writes people off, cuts people off, we're to be a people who stand together, who love one another with the love that God has loved us with. And that's why we preached on 1 Corinthians 13 a few months ago, wasn't it? We, we wanted to return to Scripture again. We wanted to remind ourselves again that before love is an emotion, it's an action, it's a behaviour. How we, our faith should affect our lifestyle, shouldn't it? Ezra hadn't married a foreign woman. I think Shechaniah probably had. But, but what we see here is that whether people had committed 
this sin or whether they had not, whether they were complicit either by approving of it or by saying nothing, they all bore the shame of this. They all bore the responsibility. We all bear responsibility for one another, don't we? We all bear responsibility when things go wrong. We all feel it. We all feel the pain. We all feel the responsibility. Some of us bear the responsibility more equally than others, and that's why elders are appointed in churches, but we all bear it. We are a family, and we love one another, and we want to bear with one another. And that's why, as I say, I love what Ezra says at the end of his prayer. He says, behold, we stand before you in our guilt. Ezra considered himself guilty because he loved God's people so much that he didn't write them off. He didn't separate himself from them. He said, we stand before you in our guilt. And it's this act of corporate repentance that I find most interesting about this passage. And, um, and, 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 and the reason I find it interesting is because they're acting out something else as well. Another promise that we know very well, don't we, from 2 Chronicles that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Ezra's desire for the people of Israel was that they would be holy. His desire for them was that they would be a demonstration of God's glory and goodness, that the people in the lands around them would hear about these people and their God and that they would see his favour on them, that they would be surprised. Hey, you're not, you're not burning your children in the fire and yet your crops are abundant and yet you're blessed. If, if anyone, I mean, we, if, if, if we jump to now... I don't want you to think that, that there is any, um, any need for us if, if we are believing partners with unbelieving partners that we should divorce from them. 2 Corinthians, sorry, not 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is very clear that if, if, if a believer has an unbelieving partner, if that partner consents to live with them, they should not divorce. To singles, 2 Corinthians says not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I don't have any time to talk about what it might mean for uh, an unbelieving partner to consent to live with a believing partner. I don't have any time to talk about um, what it might mean or why it might not be best for single Christians to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But I do want to look at this act of corporate repentance. Firstly, I need to answer the question, do we need to repent today even if we have put our faith in Jesus? And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes, we must still repent of our sins even if we have already put our faith in Jesus and know that they are already forgiven. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, uh, Peter didn't want to let Jesus wash his feet. And Jesus essentially said to him, if I don't do this, you'll have no part with me. And so Peter said, well, not just my feet, but wash all of me. And Jesus said, said this, he said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So we have been washed and we are clean if we've put our faith in Jesus. But 
we know that our feet still get dirty as we travel along this road in life, and we need to clean our feet. And Jesus told them afterwards, you must wash one another's feet as well, and we must wash one another's feet too. Thankfully, not literally, but we must. And after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, the Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it true that we have wed ourselves to all sorts of patterns of thinking and behaviours that are not of the kingdom of God but are of this world? It is true. It's, it, we, we live in a time like the judges did. You know, there is no king in Britain and everyone does as seems right in their own eyes. That's the world that we live in. And humility and confession and repentance are increasingly rare character traits and behaviours. And that's true in the church as well. But we mustn't worry. It is finished. Present and future sins are dealt with. But we have to recognise that we need Jesus as much today as we did that first time we put our faith in him. I was so encouraged a, a few weeks ago to see so many of you responding to an invitation to, I guess, re-consecrate your hearts to God. There was, there was a, an invitation to, say, to confess that we have spent more time building our own houses than we have God's, and that we recognised in that that there was a, 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 a you know, an, an off-kilter priorities in our lives. And so many of us responded. So many of us said, God, I, I don't want this. I want you. I want to live my life the way you're calling me to. I want to live for you. I was so... I was so so thankful to see that. I was so humbled to see that. I took part in it as well. I truly believe that prayers like that are pleasing to God, and I think he works in us as we pray them. That's why I wanted to read Ezra's prayer today, because I think it models to us how we can pray and how we can repent in prayer. But we have been bathed. <laughs> we are clean. And as long as we will humble ourselves and turn to him, then he will heal our lands, he will wash our feet, we will be clean. So, I hope you agree with me, you don't have to, but just because that may well be true of individual repentance, what about corporate repentance? Must we repent corporately from time to time as we have cause to? Yes, we absolutely must. Yes, we absolutely must. In 1 Corinthians 5, when an individual was having sex with his mum, the Apostle Paul rebuked all of them. He said to them, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? You know, Paul is encouraging an act of corporate repentance for these people. But how do we do it? How do we do it? I think we do it well. I think we have done it well. I think there have been times in our history where we have owned up to issues 
and we have dealt with them publicly and we have sought understanding and we have repented and sought forgiveness. And I want you to know, I want you to be encouraged that we are a church who will say, because times will come again in the future when we will say, we stand before you in our guilt. We're not, we're not going to cut people off. We're not going to write people off. We stand before you in our guilt and we are going to work this out. We are going to pray this through. We are going to win through. We are going to see God lead us on. And that's why we went through 1 Corinthians 13. There's something I love in chapter 10 of this today where, um, where the men say to Ezra, this is not a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. It may be that events of the past, whether in this church or in other churches or in life, it may be that dealing with those things takes time. But we draw a line in the sand, don't we? We say it's done, we've dealt with it, and, and now, God, would you heal our hearts? God, would you lead us on? Do you know, I love that, that the majority of our diet at Jubilee is going through whole books. We would never have preached on this if we weren't going through the book of Ezra. None of you appear to be enjoying this message. It's not a message that we enjoy. That's okay. And the thing is, when we do that, there are two, there are two things that can happen. Either the word can be a really timely word and we go, we go, thank you, God. This, I just know this is a word for us, for now, for today. This is lovely. Thank you. I'm so encouraged. And, and I think this is the case today, doesn't seem relevant to us, feels a bit heavy, but I truly believe that we'll be strengthened by having said this publicly. I believe there'll be times in our future where we will go, this is, this is, like, this is like Ezra and the men of Israel. How, how do we turn from this? How do we move forwards from this? And the key is we stand before you, God, in our sin. And so, you may not have enjoyed this today, but you will. You, you, you will have been strengthened for hearing this today. We will have been strengthened for hearing this today. Because like the people of Israel, we want to be faithful to God, don't we? We want to live the way he calls us to. We want to love one another the way that he loves us. And that's hard sometimes. That is hard sometimes. We, we, we talk about, I talked about earlier the way that we, we do this for our flesh and blood families. We absolutely do. You know, this is, this is difficult. Those of you who are, are married and who are husbands, you know you, you bear the responsibility for your household. It doesn't matter how your family uh, behave or act. It's your, you take responsibility. I'm going to get before God for these guys. That's what we do. We stand before God together for one another. And so I'm going to conclude. We've finished Ezra. You might be thankful. <laughs> Let's let Ezra be the encouragement to us that it must be. If Ezra has taught us nothing else, it's that God is in control. Ezra has taught us that we must return to the heart of worship. 
Ezra has taught us that even when things are going wrong, that God is in control, that he is working all things for good. And I believe that today Ezra has taught us that we must try as hard as we can by the grace of God to remain soft-hearted to one another, to not write one another off and to persevere so that we can see God lead us on. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to go and uh, get behind the drums. Um, Angus is going to lead us in a time of uh, communion and we uh, may have time to sing some songs together. Would you like to bow your heads (laughs) Or, or whatever you would like to do in order to focus on what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you as I pray. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, however troubling we might find passages like this, and however little we might get them, we know that you are good. We know that you are love. We know that you act for the good of your people, again and again and again. Lord, you are faithful to a thousand generations. And Lord, we know that you are faithful to us again today. And Lord, as much as this is a hard message to hear, I pray that you will have strengthened us, that you will have built resolve into us as we look at a time in our history, in our story, where people have said, I am not going to write them off because they did this grievous thing. I will stand with them. And so, Holy Spirit, would you knit us together more and more? Father, I thank you for the joy that is evident among us as we talk in that break. Lord, would you knit us together? Would you make us more like you? And Lord, would you make us a testimony of your power and love to the world around us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.